All right. All right. We have your spiritual meal ready. Let's go to Galatians. You remember Galatians, where we were a long time ago. And we're going to pick up with Galatians chapter 3. And let's pick up with verse 12. We'll read down to verse 17. Let's read. Yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it's confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds as of many, but as to one and to your seed who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of none effect. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God that's filled with the spiritual nutrients that we need. We're going to appropriate it, receive it by faith, and be nourished by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher, the spiritual teacher, and ask you to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. Father, I thank you that you're speaking to your children. They walk away taking the bit and portions that they need. And only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go back to verse 12. Start unpacking your lunch. Verse 12 says, yet the law is not a faith. Say, not a faith. Not a faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. This brings something important. The law is not a faith. Matter of fact, you only see the word faith in the Old Testament twice. And it's mentioned that Israel has no faith and that there was a prophecy that in there's a coming day the just shall live by faith. But you can't find the word faith in the Old Testament. You find examples of people walking in faith and we'll even talk about what covenant were they really under. We're going to find it wasn't the law. And so the law is not a faith. Matter of fact, the law gives you no help or ability under the law. God gives you no resources to do the law. The law is all on you to do it. In the new covenant, whenever God tells you to do something, he resources you for it. He gives you the ability, divine grace to carry it out. And he'll even drop the desire and work the desire in you for the very thing he wants you to do. But under the law, that's not the case. He gave you commandments, but you had to come up with the ability you had to come up with a desire, and it was all on you, and you had to come up with it all the time. You couldn't depend on God to keep the law, and so the law was all on you. Matter of fact, out of the 613 commandments of the law of Moses, not one of them is to pray. Not one of them is to pray, because prayer is dependence on God. The law was about you having to perform for God. Sure signs that you're operating in self-effort well, Pastor, I want to know what are signs that I'm operating under the law or operating under self-effort? Well, sure signs you're operating under self-effort in your life is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. And, and let me say this, prayerlessness and unbelief are ugly cousins. They go together. And so in the Old Covenant, you do see signs of prayer in the Old Covenant, but there were times of prayer or hours of prayer. In the temple, there were hours of prayer. That is not New Testament. That's not New Covenant hours of prayer. 
When I was a young denominational boy, they said, uh, that what you need is a quiet time. I said, well, that's nice. I said, no, I don't think you'll like it. Now, because uh, Jesus said, Do you not, can you not tarry one hour? And the answer to that was no, they couldn't. And so we, I had to tarry for one hour in prayer, and that's my quiet time. And so I was told to do that. And so, but that kind of taught you something that's not New Testament, is that you had times where this belongs to God, and then when you leave, that's the rest of your life out here, and then God's kept in your prayer closet. Now, that's not New Covenant. In the New Covenant, it says you are to pray without ceasing. That means a lifestyle of prayer because guess what? God lives in you. Before, you had to go to a temple where God was, the presence of God was, and have hours of visitation. But now, guess what? God lives in you, and wherever you go, He is, so you can have an unbroken fellowship with God. And so a lot of times we think prayer has to have King James in it. <laughs> oh, thou most holiest God that dwells between the cherubim. No, prayer is just communication and talking to God. Did you treat your father like that growing up? No. Oh, most holy one who sits between the lampstands on the sofa. You think that's weird. No, we're just to have conversation with God throughout the day. And so again, that's what we're called to do. But man who does them, that's the law, the commandments of the law, shall live by them. What does this mean? That, that if a man could keep all the commandments of the law all of his life, it could maintain his life. He could stay alive. But the problem was man was dead spiritually and wasn't alive. And the Bible t tells us in Galatians 3.21 that the law could not impart life. It could not justify, it could not make righteous, and couldn't give you life. All the law could do is show you that you were dead. Amen. And so the law was given to create transgressions. Before the law, there were, there were sins. What's sin? Sin is anything against the nature of God, the character of God, the, the, uh, the, the will of God. So sin was in the earth from the very beginning. But what was the law given for? To turn sin into transgression. Transgression is where you knowingly go across a line that was clear. You know about it and you crossed it. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You tell that three-year-old, do not touch that. They look at you right in your face and touch it. That's what the law was. And so transgression, and, the, and so the more they tried to keep it, the more they transgressed it. And they said, well, there's something wrong in me. I can't stop transgressing this law. And there's something within me that, that re resents it. How dare they tell me I shall not? I shall. You know what I'm talking about, that 55 mile an hour street sign out there. A lot of you resent that. And you say, I shall. I, this, the, this engine needs to be released. And my driving ability needs to be evident to all. But there's something within you that says, you know what, there's some, something wrong. Why can't I do that? Why can't I stop sinning? Because man's a sinner before you receive Jesus. You're a sinner. You don't, you don't, you're not a sinner because you sin. You are a sinner first, and then you sin. And so the law showed you through your sins that you were a sinner. There was something wrong with your heart. And you need a new heart. You need a heart transplant. Before you were saved, you had the heart of a pig. 
You love the mud. You love the sin. You love the you love sin. But guess what? When you got saved, you got a heart transplant. You got a the heart the pig heart taken out. You got a heart of a sheep put in. Now I want you to pr prove something to me that you're a sheep now. Go back. See, you couldn't do that if you weren't a sheep. You would just oink really loud if you weren't. And so, so I want you to see something. The law could not impart life. Look at verse 13. These two verses, 13 and 14, are so important to understand. We're going to take some time here. Most of the time is in these two verses. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Look at the word redeemed. It means to pay a price to bring someone out of slavery. It's a payment to release from slavery. It's a payment. But what was the payment for? The payment was to pay the debt incurred to God's justice that was broken. God, every sin is a breach of God's justice. There's a debt every time we sin to God's justice and righteousness. And so that had to be satisfied. Justice must be satisfied for us to come out of slavery into freedom. And so how was this to be paid? Well, in our earthly life, we pay our debts. Oftentimes we have debt, we pay with currency. And we have currency. But I want you to see God only has one currency he accepts. And it's not gold and silver. I want you to look at 1 Peter 1, look at verse 18 and 19. This is the only currency God accepts for justice being violated. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, next verse, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish, without spot. Say the precious blood of Christ. I want you to see what was so precious about the blood of Christ. His blood was different than any other human's blood. It was untainted by sin, but it wasn't just human blood. It was the blood of God. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man in one person. But there was one place in his being that his divinity and humanity met, and it was in his blood. It was the blood of Christ. Jesus is the name of his humanity. Christ is the name of his divinity. It was the blood of Christ. Let me say something, that you got saved by eternal blood. The blood of God was shed for you. Well, pastor, prove that to me. I need proof. Well, I'm glad you asked. You're a person of the word, and you like scripture to back things up. Thank you. Look at Acts chapter 20, look at verse 28, and you need to read it slowly and carefully, or you'll read right over it. Look at Acts chapter 20, look at verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God. The church of who? God. Which he, God, purchased with his own blood. I don't think some of you are getting it. Let's read it one more time. <laughs> to shepherd the church of God, which he, God, purchased with his own blood. It was eternal blood. That blood could reach back to the sins of Adam and reach throughout eternity in your redemption, eternal redemption. Amen. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 says we have eternal redemption because his blood's eternal. His blood was put on the mercy seat of heaven and it cries out night and day throughout eternity better things than that of Abel. 
The blood of Abel cried out for vengeance and justice done for what was done. The blood of Jesus cries out forgiveness and blessing to us throughout eternity. And so Leviticus 17.11 says life is in the, the blood. Since the blood of Christ was incorruptible, we have eternal redemption. And so uh, this blood was shed and so to pay the payment price from the curse of the law. Say, the curse of the law. Well, pastor, yeah, Jesus redeemed me from the Deuteronomy 28 curses. He, he, you know, I got delivered from the botch of Egypt and the itch and the scab that cannot be healed and all this other, and the emeralds. I don't know what they are, but I don't want them. Those are hemorrhoids. It's a curse. But that's not what this verse is talking about. Those were the curses of the law. We're redeemed from the curses, but as something goes much deeper, we're redeemed from the curse, the curse, singular. And the curse of the law is found in Deuteronomy 27, not 28. So go back to Deuteronomy 27. Look at verse 26, the last verse of that chapter before we get into Deuteronomy 28 with the curses. And what is the curse, the curse of the law? Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, all 613 commandments. And all the people shall say amen. Look at the word confirm in the Hebrew. This word confirm means to rise up to. Rise up to. Cursed is he that does not rise up to the level of all of God's word to do them. Not just once, their entire life. What's the curse of the law? Having to relate to God based on your performance. So tell someone your performance is not going to cut it. Now tell someone else your performance really won't cut it. Now I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your neighbor. Me and you's like this. Having become... A curse. Notice Jesus became a curse. He didn't bear a curse. He became a curse. He was rejected so that we could be accepted and blessed. It does not say he bore the curse. He became a curse. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 21. For he, God the Father, made him the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, not bear sin. He bore our sins in his body, but he became sin singular. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you got saved, you don't bear righteousness. You become it. To the level that he became is the level you become on the other side of the cross. He became sin so you could become righteous. For us, say for us, say for me. Everything Jesus did was for us and as us. See, he became our representative when he was born on, at, at Bethlehem all the way until he died on the cross. Why? God demanded perfection from humanity and no one could give it to him. God's justice and righteousness demands perfection. A perfect God lives in a perfect heaven. Justice is perfect. He must demand only perfection. No human being could give it to him. And so Jesus said, I'll become a man. I'll live under the law. And as a man, I will achieve as a man what you demand from humanity. 
So he came and lived as our representative, not at the cross, but he started at the cradle. He came to live before he came to die. He came to live under the law. And he fulfilled the law, every jot, every, tot, every tittle, every thought, word and deed. He fulfilled the law in completion, set it aside, but then we had sins and transgressions that separated us from God. He became sin and bore sins on his cross, shed his eternal blood to pay for that justice that was broken. And when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, there's a divine exchange. He took what you were and you, became, you become what he is. Is he holy? So are you. Is he righteous? So are you. He's a king and a priest. So are you. Whatever he is, he shares it with you out of his grace. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So if you hung someone on a tree, they were cursed. And so Jesus was hung on the tree and was cursed and rejected. Matter of fact, Judas, after betraying Jesus, went and hung himself on a tree. He was cursed. You know what's sad? That Judas didn't have to take his own curse upon him. He should have trusted on Jesus hanging on the tree and taking his curse for him. And every human being must make that decision. Will I bear my own curse or will I, or will I let Jesus bear my curse? And so let me say something to you. The first Adam, who's Adam? The first Adam fell by partaking of a tree. The, so man's salvation is found by the last Adam, Jesus, partaking of another tree. The cross. Look at verse 14. Why, was he, why, would, why did he become a curse? Why was he rejected for purpose? Verse 14. Let's read it. Verse 14 says that the blessing of the law might come on the... Uh-oh. Clueless translation. Well, God, you wrote that wrong. He became the curse of the law, so I, I should be, so I get the blessing of the law. But that's not the case. He said so that you can receive the blessing of Abraham, a previous covenant before the law. Why the blessing of Abraham and not the blessing of the law? Because the blessing of Abraham is far greater than the blessing of the law. The, law, the blessing of the law was merely external. The law could never impart life. It could never give righteousness. But one of the blessings of Abraham is he became righteous by faith. The, the, the covenant of Abraham imparts righteousness to you. And then you also get the other blessings of Abraham put on the top of it. And so what were the external blessings of Abraham? Well, Abraham was very healthy and very wealthy. Well, pastor, how do you know he was healthy? Well, he had a child at 100. And when Sarah died, he re-upped. He married Keturah and was popping children out way past 100. The dude was healthy. He lived to be 175 years old. He was very wealthy in all things. Gold and so He was wealthy in money. See, the blessing of Abraham, but before that, he was, he, he was made righteous by faith. He believed upon the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was just accounted to him, but you're made righteous in the new covenant. So the blessing of Abraham far exceeds the blessing you get under the law. But the law had to be satisfied and removed before the blessing of Abraham could come to all of us. Why? 
The law was a barrier to the blessing of Abraham coming to both Jews and Gentiles. The guilt of the law brought, the, the guilt the law brought had to be dealt with before the blessing of Abraham could be given to us. Well, pastor, I'm a Gentile. I never was under the law. Correct. I want you to see a very important verse that troubled me for years. That this verse, it puzzled my puzzler, as Dr. Seuss would say. You ever had a verse puzzle your puzzler? But hold on, the Holy Spirit will show it to you. Look at Romans 3, look at verse 19. Romans 3, look at verse 19. Now, that, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Stop. If the law says what it says to those who are under the law, then you need to ask who are under the law. So who is under the law? The Jews. Were the Gentiles under the law? No, they weren't. The Jews. So I would think that whatever the law says, it would say to just the Jews, but keep reading. Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world would be held guilty before God. Whoa, 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 God. Wouldn't the Jews only be guilty? How has the giving of the law caused the whole world to become guilty? And, I, and I, it came to this prayer. God, you're going to have to show me. And he showed me in an analogy that when a scientist goes to a well of water to see if it's good water or needs to be condemned, will he, will he uh, test every single drop of water? No, what will he do? He takes a test tube. He just dips down arbitrarily into the well of water, pulls out a test tube, takes the test tube back into the lab, puts it under test. If it fails the test, then he can rightly move back to the whole well of water and condemn the entire well it came from. That's what God did with the family from Abraham, the Israelite Jewish nation. He just took them out of the well of humanity. They weren't any better or any worse. He just took this family out of the well of humanity. First of all, I'm going to test... Abraham with grace. What does grace do to a person? And he just started out in and out, up and down. God told him to leave his family. He took his family. He gets to the promised land and bolts for him to protect himself, gets down to Egypt, tries to give his wife away to save his neck. He does it twice. It's not good for the marriage. But every time he messes up, God blesses him because he's under a covenant where God showed up to Abram one day and said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will bless you. Amen. Five I wills. Five is the number of grace in the, in the Word of God. Amen. No, if you read your Bible, there wasn't a Bible in Abraham's day. If you, if you perfectly obey me, he didn't. But every time he'd blow up, blow, mess up, God would bless him. Every time he messed up, God would still be good to him. And so that's the covenant that was of Abraham. And so... So how in the world does Romans 3.19 apply? Well, he just took the Israel nation, then Abraham under grace, but what, what will happen to this nation if he applies it to law? And so he gave them all the benefit, gave them the priesthood, gave them the instruction, the ordinances, gave them all the benefits, and they miserably failed and were seen as corrupt. And the Gentiles stood back and said, if that happened to them, woe is me. I played football in high school. Might be surprised by that. In the high school I went to, there was varsity in JV. Guess what I was? Yeah. I'm getting over my memories. 
JV. The varsity got all the, the, the good uniforms. They got all the reps. They got all the tension with the coaches, all the advantages. I was the dummy that held the dummy. I got the tattered clothes. I got the old helmet. They didn't quite fit right. And so the JV got to watch the varsity play. Welcome to Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were the varsity team. And they said, well, we're going to pull you out, and you're varsity, and so we're going to give you all the advantages. You're going to have the priesthood. You're going to have the instruction of the law. You're going to have all the advantages. These Gentiles are sitting back watching what's taking place. And so they're preparing for the game. And so the first game out, they play Law University. At halftime, they're losing 313 to nothing. I mean, the helmets turn sideways, click marks on their chest. They limp to the, to the halftime into the stadium, and they're begging, please don't make us go back out there. No, you've got to finish the game. So they go back out and lose 613 to nothing. They're, going, they're being pulled off the field in stretchers by the JV team. And the JV said, if that happened to the varsity, woe is us. Welcome to the Gentiles, seeing Israel getting kicked out of their nation and not being able to, to live up to this holy God. And they said, you know what, if they're guilty, so are we. We all need grace. But notice, it's not the blessing of the law, it's the blessing of Abraham. The law had to be removed, dealt with, the guilt removed, so that the blessing of Abraham, a prior covenant, could come right on through to us and we could receive the blessing of Abraham, which is the blessing of grace. The Abrahamic blessing is righteousness, health, and wealth, and everything that we need. I want to now, I want to visually show you this fact about Jesus being rejected so that we could receive the blessing of a deserve, a blessing that we didn't deserve. You don't deserve righteousness, you don't deserve health, and you don't deserve wealth. It just comes to you and you're blessed by grace. All right, so I have two actors. Please come up here. We have Jeremy. Give him a hand. We have Craig. And so we're going to show you something. First, something very interesting happens with Abraham and the patriarchs. The age of the patriarchs is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and his sons. Those are the patriarchal age. Something happens every generation, one after another, the same thing happens. And we can learn something today from it. I'm going to give you an illustration of that. I'm Abraham. I have two sons. Who are the two sons of Abraham? Isaac and Ishmael. Who's the oldest? This is Ishmael. I mean, I love Ishmael. He, he's a, I mean, he's an outdoorsman. He's an expert hunter, and he's a wild man. Wild at heart. And then you have Isaac, who dwells in the tents with his mom. And so the Lord tells me that I'm to cast out the bondwoman with her son. He will not be the heir. So stand up closer, guys. And then he gets rejected. He's not going to be the heir. He gets rejected. Oh. See, in the early, in the, in the ancient days, the blessing of the family or Abraham would fall upon the elder. It was deserved and owed according to position. So the, the, the blessing that he deserved as position as firstborn actually fell on the younger one 
And he was blessed not because he deserved it. He didn't earn it when didn't want owed to him. He got sure purely blessed by grace. Say I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Amen. Come on up. Now I'm Isaac. I have two sons. Who are the two sons of Isaac? Jacob and Esau. Who's the oldest? Esau. Welcome to Esau. I love Esau. He he makes me some steaks. Woo, prime rib. Love the steaks. Now, he's a, he's a great guy, but he's a bit furry. It's went from his head down to everywhere else. Now, his son chisels him out of his birthright and blessing. because There's no need to because they're ever born. God spoke. He said, Esau have I rejected, but have Jacob have I left. So he got rejected. And the blessing that should have came on him as the firstborn fell on the younger one. It wasn't earned, it wasn't owed, it wasn't deserved. He got blessed by grace. Say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. All right, come back up. Now, I'm Jacob. Who's my firstborn son? It's a good sandwich. Reuben. At the time of this story, Benjamin has not been born yet, and this is Joseph. I, Jacob, make him a coat. The King James says a coat of many colors. Hebrew says a long sleeve coat. A long sleeve coat. What is the designation or the significance of a long sleeve coat? That means that's the garment of the firstborn. When you're slaving and working in the fields, you did not wear long sleeves. And so Jacob, Joseph was given the long sleeve coat as the overseer and acted as the overseer. That's why when he came to view over his brothers, they saw him wearing the garment of the firstborn and hated him. And so I can mention to you, but he did something very, very naughty. We cannot mention in mixed company that he got rejected. And the blessing that belonged to him came on the younger. He got the blessing of the firstborn. It wasn't earned. It wasn't owed. It wasn't deserved. He got blessed by grace. You were blessed. I'm blessed. Amen. Come on up. I'm Joseph in Egypt. I have two sons. Who are the two sons? Manasseh and Ephraim. Who's, who's the oldest? Here's Manasseh. And so I... Joseph, I'm going to bring him before Jacob before he dies to bless them. Switch places and get close to each other. So I'm going to bring him, and Jacob's over here, and I'm going to bring my boys. I'm excited. Jacob's going to be here. And so I put my older son to the right hand because this is the place of blessing, the place of honor. But I do something, Jacob does something very interesting. He crosses hands. He puts the right hand of, of favor over on the younger one, and puts the left hand on the older and so rejected him. And the blessing of the firstborn fell on the younger one. It wasn't earned, it wasn't owed, it wasn't deserved. He got blessed by grace. Still blessed. I mean, go back to where you were. And now I'm God the Father. And I had a firstborn son. His name was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born to live a perfect sinless life for me and as me. But on the cross, he hung on the cross he had seven sayings on the cross, but only one question. And what was that one question? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer of why he was rejected is so the blessing that belongs to him would come upon you and you and you are the younger. You didn't deserve it. It was not owed to you. You're blessed by grace. Say, I'm blessed by grace. Blessed by grace. Let me see. Hallelujah. Jesus was rejected, became a curse, so that the blessing of Abraham would come upon you. 
might come upon you. Why? Because it's not automatic. You have to receive that. It's not automatic. That you might come upon the Gentiles, that we might, say might, receive the promise. That's if we accept Jesus. We might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. At the root of the blessing of Abraham is the giving of the Spirit of God when we got born again. Where righteousness was imparted to us. And from the root of righteousness comes all the fruit of righteousness and everything natural, health and wealth and everything in salvation came from that beachhead of the new birth. The giving of the Holy Spirit by grace. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We got blessed by grace. Through faith. Look at verse 15. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it's only a man's covenant. Yet if it's confirmed, no one annuls it and adds to it. He basically brings out that if someone back in the day made a covenant, you couldn't change it later. You can't add to it and you can't destroy it unless it be fulfilled. If it was completely fulfilled, it could be moved out of the way. But unless it's fulfilled, it can't be added to and it can't be subtracted from. Keep that in mind because we're going to get back to that of what's so important about that. So he says, brethren, I speak in manner of men, though it's only a man's covenant, yet if it's confirmed, no one annuls and adds it. So if I make a covenant with Craig, I can't come back and add to it and I can't destroy it. It's an important point that's going to be bring back between the Abrahamic covenant and the law. Look at verse 16. Now to Abraham and to his who? Seed. Well, I'm the seed of Abraham. Well, not yet. Hold on. You're rushing things. Bless you. Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. The promises given to Abraham. Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one. Tell someone you're not the one. Religion always makes you the one. You're not the one. It doesn't hang on you. It hangs on another one, and he's the one. His name is Christ, Jesus. And to your seed, who is Christ? The new covenant is made between God the Father and the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me break a statement. I'm going to suck the air out of the room. <gasps> you don't have a covenant with God. Yes, I do. I don't covenant. Hold on a second. God does not make a direct covenant with you. He made the new covenant, which is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, to Abraham and to your seed, that's Christ. He created that covenant between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Better be glad that he didn't make the covenant with you. Because guess what? A covenant is only as strong as the weakest link. Tell someone you're the weak link. Now tell someone else, you're really the weak link. He didn't make the covenant you're in now with you. He made it with Jesus. And both of them are perfect forever. When you accept Jesus, you enter into him. And whatever he has and is, he shares it with you. So now you're the seed of Abraham. Because he's the seed. You share his seedship. She hates it when I come up with words. The covenant is solid. Because if it's with you, you're in and out, up and down. That's what the problem was with the law. 
It was with people, and people was the, the weak link where it failed. He doesn't say to seeds as many, but as to one who is Christ. Look at verse 17. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot, say cannot, cannot. annul the covenant which was confirmed before by the God in Christ, that it should make the promise of none effect. In this verse, you have two covenants. You have the covenant of law, and you have the covenant of Abraham. And he's bringing out that the later covenant is the law, and the giving of a later covenant does not add to or abolish the first one. That as the law was going, the Abrahamic covenant was continuing. But before we talk about that, I want you to see what he says here. This I say. Say, this I say. It's very important what the Word of God says. But it's even more important, what do you say? Paul says, this I say. What are you saying? Paul used this expression, this I say, seven times in his writing. Seven speaks of perfection and completion. In order to see the Word of God have completion in your life, you need to speak the same thing the Word says. It's not good to have a Bible on your, ta- on your coffee table and it says that you're blessed. What do you say? This I say. You need to say what the Word says. The Word says one thing, but you need to say the same thing for the Word to be completed or fulfilled in your life. What, what do you say? But it says here that the law, which was 430 years later, say 430 years. The law was given at Mount Sinai 430 years after God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. Go to Genesis 15 and let's look at verse 13. God's going to prophesy what his, what he, his intention was, was Israel was going to be in this land for a certain number of years. Read this, Genesis 15, 13. Then God said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Say 400. 400. But, they were, they, but it was 430 years later where they experienced freedom. What's the discrepancy? Mo, big Mo. Moses tries to step in in his own way, in his own timing, to make the will of God come about. So he comes and he finds two Hebrews. They're fighting with one another. And he, he tries to get into it. And, and actually, there was actually a Hebrew and an Egyptian slave abusing him. And so Moses, it says in Hebrews 7, he presumed and assumed they would understand he was the deliverer. See, when you're in your own self, you presume a lot of things. You assume a bunch of stuff. You offer to God what he didn't ask for. And so he said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver Israel one by one. I'll kill them all, God. Stand back. I'll kill them all one by one. That was not God's plan. Amen. And then he was found out when two slaves, and they mentioned the, the Egyptian that you killed yesterday, and he knew it was found out, and he ran. For 40 years, he was in the wilderness. So 430 minus 40 is what? I'm not a math major. 390. He tried to deliver them at, at year 390, 10 years too early, and delayed the plan of God. God, I'm speaking to someone in here. You're trying to make the plan of God happen before he's leading you. You need to, you need to let the Lord go before you. 
He needs to set things up. You need to hear from God how he wants you to do it and not get in front of him. Worst thing to say is, Jesus, watch this. I'm going to do a church plant. No, you're going to do a face plant. Now you need to let the Lord, in the fullness of time, let your peanut get fully roasted, get his plan, and move it and stop. Because, well, well I, I'm just trying to get this thing going. Yeah, but you're going to delay it. Our own self-will and acts of impatience can delay God's plan in our life. We need to learn and wait on God and move when, where, and how He directs us. Don't presume and assume just because you have a diploma from Karis Bible College. I'm man's hour for the power, and I'm just going to go, power for the hour, and I'm just going to go out and do whatever, whatever I do is going to succeed. No. It says here, that the law that was given 430 years later could not annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ. That's the Abrahamic covenant. Let me bring this out. That anybody under the law could get a revelation of grace and move out of the law and operate in the covenant of Abraham. Hebrews 11 is filled with a list of heroes that we call heroes of faith. The hall of faith. There were some born before the law that they operated under God's grace. And then there are some under the law, they operated under grace. And everything they did wasn't under the covenant of the law, but they actually had a revelation of grace. And what they did, they operated under the Abrahamic covenant. David. You know, David took out the giant Philistine. He was not operating under the covenant because he stood on his covenant rights. Which one? Not the law. He was operating under the Abrahamic covenant. He promised the land to Abraham. He says, no, this land belongs to us. You uncircumcised Philistine. I have covenant rights. And he operated under the covenant of Abraham. Supernatural ability operated through him. And that giant fell. David had a revelation of the grace of God. And was operating on a a a prior and an existing covenant that was still operating. You know when he committed sin with Bathsheba and had Uriel killed... He should have been stoned, but he had a revelation of grace. And he came to God and fell on the grace of God and received mercy. He had a revelation of grace. And so again, you could operate, you can move from the law and actually operate because the law did not abolish the Abrahamic grace covenant. Notice it says it was made before God in Christ. Again, it's made between God the Father and Jesus, not you that it should make the promise of no effect. The Abrahamic covenant of grace and the blessing was effective and operative and fruitful and powerful towards all who placed their trust in that covenant and they could go from the law to that covenant. But what about me, Pastor? This whole thing that's great, I've learned a lot about this, but what about me today? Well, there's many Christians that have gone from the covenant of grace back into the later covenant of law. And you're resting in your own ability, and you think what you're, that God's going to bless your, you with rent, going to heal your body, He's going to provide for you because of how good you've been. No, He won't. He can only accept perfection. And so guess what? At any time, you can wake up 
and then you can go back into this covenant that's always been going. I don't care if you got into self-works and you got into doo-doo. <laughs> you can come out of that and get into done and get into grace and, and as, a, as the younger child, receive unmerited favor, unmerited health and unmerited provision and just receive, receive, receive. You're not called to achieve, but to receive. If you're trying to achieve something, you're under a different covenant. Wake up. Wake up. That covenant's still there. Get out. Come back into faith. Receive. You're a believer. You're a receiver, not an achiever. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for those that are in this room. I thank you, Father, that they're younger child. That Jesus, you're the elder. The firstborn was rejected so that the blessing of Abraham would come come on them. Unmerited favor. You want to freely bless them with righteousness. Freely bless them with healing. Freely bless them with provision. And as they operate in faith and act in faith and speak in faith, that blessing is released. The blessing of Abraham is upon them. But it's voice activated. So which covenant have you been operating in? Well, pastor, I've been trying to have one foot in my works and I'm kind of trusting in Jesus. No, you can't mix them. It's either all you or all Jesus. And so which one are you going to stand in? If, it's, if you're going to be you, it's all you. If it's going to be Jesus, it's all Jesus. You say, Pastor, I hit me today that I've been kind of straddling the fence and I haven't been fully resting in the grace of God and I'm resting in the done of Jesus Christ and not what I'm doing. And I'm going to receive today what I need surely by, surely by God's grace. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Father, I thank you for the hands that are raised. Lord, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna operate in this covenant of Abraham, a covenant of grace that's always been there. Lord, I thank you. Now finances are being released right now. Answers, wisdom is being released. Angels being dispatched from heaven. Resources being released to you. Son of God. Son of God. The younger is coming on you freely. The blessing of Abraham's on you. And so just from now on, you need to start praising him and worshiping him and thank him. And you need to say, I'm blessed. Say, I'm blessed. blessed. Amen. Let's worship. Good morning. Um, I felt like the Lord just wanted me to share how in 1 John, it says, anyone who does not know love does not know God because God is love. And the last song, it said, um, a love that always finds me. And um, when we are walking in God, we will see that fruit, we will have patience, we will have that joy because we are walking in him, because we have his spirit living on the inside of us. So I felt like he just wanted me to remind the body today that you have that love on the inside of you and it will always find you because Jesus is in you.